Hello and welcome to the Creative Review Podcast. I'm Eliza Williams, CR's editor, and for this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking to Penguin book cover designer and author Coralie Bickford-Smith. I spoke to Coralie in the run-up to the release of her third book, The Song of the Tree, and we discussed the highs and lows of her career so far. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Coralie. Thanks, it's really nice to be asked to be on this. Oh, thank you for doing <laughs> it. Um, as you know, we like to sort of talk about the kind of creative journey on the podcast. Um, but maybe to start with, could you just talk a bit about where it all began, like when you first became interested in illustration and art and so on? Well, I was small. I was always in the library reading books or with a sketch pad. So it was just seemed like the natural thing to happen for me. Um, it wasn't easy to get there but I think if you've got passion and you're driven then and then if things do go wrong it makes it more feels more special yeah gives you more drive you realize you do really want to do it yes do you remember any particular books at that time because you've obviously you've you've about to publish your third book but you also work at Penguin yeah. and uh, you create beautiful books for other people as well. But obviously running through all of it are incredibly beautiful books as objects as much as as things to read. Um, were you drawn to kind of particular books when you were little? Yeah, I. so I was really lucky. I was surrounded by books. My mum, just we just had so many books. So there's things that I see now in junk shops or secondhand bookshops and I think, hang on a minute, I... I know this book and I just I never really read them does that sound bad well I was really small <laughs> I was just looking at pictures and there's the water babies I think my mum had about three that. different editions yeah and What's I was just that obsessed <laughs> yeah where's that gone it's just languishing in secondhand bookshops I think yeah these are reissues it's beautiful just I just was surrounded by these crazy books and I think it just all seeped in mm. Yes, yeah, interesting you saying about um, them almost as objects more than than things you read, actually, because, I mean, this makes me feel slightly better because I'm quite guilty of being one of these people that will buy a lot of books but don't always manage to find the time to read all yeah. of them. So, <laughs> but, some t- but somehow I just like them being there as things. And that, and similarly, when I was growing up, there were lots yeah. of books around. It's a, a nice way to be, I think. It's really nice Rupert Bear annuals. Yeah. Again. I loved them so much because they had different elements of the story. You could look at the pictures, you could read the short captions or you could read the longer story. Mm. So it was really, depending on your mood, depending yeah. on what was going on, you could just dip into them and absorb what you wanted. Yeah. And how did you go then from a sort of early interest just as a, a child and like young adult? So actually, did you, you went to study uh, art and typography? Is that right? Yeah, I did typography and graphic communication at Reading um yeah I really really loved art and I used to write my own little books and my parents were kind of up for that they thought oh this she's got a passion that's nice and then when I turned around and said I want to do this as a career they were just (laughs) really against it they were so against it and I think it was because in the 80s graphic design wasn't sort of well known like now they yeah. just thought what are you doing this is crazy you're never going to get a job so they sadly they just sort of turned their back on me okay. and left me to um work it out okay so I ended up 
are living in sort of bedsits and hostels. And where, trying where did to do you go my to college? I was uh, in Norwich. I was at CNS school. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't a good time. I did get expelled. Okay. <laughs> well, I was, what led I to was, that? <laughs> uh, I really wanted to do my foundation. That was the problem. And so to get into art college, you had to do a foundation. And they wouldn't let me. And I had to do normal A levels. And okay. I was just not just didn't have that sort of drive. Obviously I was doing art yeah. and they just were so against it. So I ended up sort of flunking out a bit, going a bit wild. And then I did another A-level and I thought, okay, do you know what? All my friends went to uni and I thought, oh, I really need to get, I need, this needs to be sorted. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna apply yeah. to some universities and I had to apply for combined degrees because I didn't have a foundation. Okay. But Reading was the only one where you didn't have to do a foundation. And it was a uni and it was the only proper uni at the time because it was a polytechnics. Yeah. And I thought, I'm never going to get on this. And I went to the open day and I was so shy and quiet and I just fell in love with it. And I thought, I have to talk, I have to talk. So I really tried yeah. to get their attention. And I met the professor, Michael Twyman. And he said, but we don't do combined degrees and you want to do religious studies. And I said, no, this is my trick. This is... Um, <laughs> You're, I you fessed up. <laughs> yeah, I just said, no, I really want to just do art. But to get on the courses, you have to do, you know, if I did a combined, then I could drop it. Yeah. And I could really do the design, art and design. And he offered me a place with just with a D, yeah. just to get a D in my my second round of A-levels. And I was just so excited and happy. And I just felt that my life could really I could move from Norwich I could really live my dream and I did get I, don't, I can't remember what I got now it's terrible but I got over my D yeah and I went to Reading and it was just the beginning it was just so it was like finally I found my people I found people that believed that I could possibly do this yeah and how about your parents at this stage did they come around to the idea with with uni not really I think they were just happy that I wasn't sort of kicking around Norwich doing naughty stuff do you know yeah, yeah I thought I think they thought oh this is great but design really yeah it's interesting that the difference because you're completely right that in the in the 80s that it wasn't really known as a field in the way it is now yeah and it wasn't really recognized I mean they and they would I suppose the graphic designers then would I mean there were lots of mu music graphic designers that like Peter Savills and yeah. but that was a sort of quite rarefied world in some ways and the rest didn't seem to get the recognition it didn't at all did it it just wasn't on their radar mm. so it was a risky risky they yeah. felt it was so risky there must have been lots of people risking it at that time though because it's yeah, boomed no, since. Yeah, look at all now. <laughs> yeah. so what so then after uni did you i mean you have a very distinctive style which i think comes through both in your your personal work very much so but also in the lots of your covers that it, I mean would you agree with that or do you feel you you mix your style depending on the project hmm I don't I think I do have a style especially at Penguin especially with the cloth band classics like yes. yeah that is a style and then the illustration style that comes from the books yeah I but I don't really spend time thinking about it I think it's very 2D isn't it it's very the perspective is not there because I didn't train as an illustrator, I guess. I'm, yeah. I 
saw myself more as a graphic designer, but now I've done three books. I think, okay, I could be an illustrator now. Yeah. But it's all very <laughs> graphic. Yes. It all comes from the discipline of typography and design and printmaking. I'm obsessed with different, you know, all the old printmakers. I was and... going to say, there's something very sort of classic uh, about your style. It, it's sort of block print, prints yeah. and blocks. Yeah. And... Just that simplifying down of information. I think that's what a really good graphic designer is, isn't it? They take loads of information and they make it look so simple. And mm. that's when you know that you've got it. When it you after all that sweat, you go, oh, it just looks really simple. And yeah. you think, no, I must be proud of that. <laughs> yeah. Although your images are actually in the in your personal books, uh, which are, I suppose are aimed at children, but there's lots of lovely art for adults in there too and they're quite complex images though aren't they are they I mean they are they're simple in terms of the the kind of graphic blocks but they're often a lot of information they're getting more complex as I go on I guess that's finding the confidence and my sort of tools of expression but I'm really obsessed with pattern so maybe that's what's coming across Mm. I just love pattern design so I asked you a half question and then changed the subject. <laughs> but how did how did you get to, to oh, yeah, that style? To the books. Mm. So I always wanted to do sort of a children's book or adult children book for ever since I was tiny. And then when I was in trouble in Norwich, one of the ways they got me to come back to school was they gave me a quote from William Blake and it was his eternity poem. And I just realised that this is a mate this is this guy he's incredible he he wrote them illustrated them like hand colored them mm. bound them printed them he did the whole blooming lot and he just has that has just stayed with me that made me think that's where my real passion is yes there's an ambition there isn't mm. there yeah, yeah. Like, wow what a dude and so I guess when uh, my first year at uni, my mum passed away. Okay. And that's when the fox and the star, the story started to come into my head. Mm. And I just played with it um, privately. I didn't think that anything would come of it. And then one day, one of my editors at Penguin came and said, let's go out for a cup of coffee. And I just thought, what do you want? It's always a bit unnerving, isn't it? Is this good or bad? Do you want a croissant? I said, no, I just want to know. I'll have a croissant when I know what you want. (laughs) And she said, oh, have you got a book in you? I think you've got a book in you. And I said, that's weird. I I have a book. So give it to me. And that was the beginning of The Fox. Okay. And that was a huge success, wasn't it? That was bonkers. That was insane. Yeah. You didn't see that coming, presumably? No. I was telling them to keep the print run down. So, because in Penguin, we have a pulp shelf. Okay. So, oh when okay. Books, books come back, yeah. and then we we can get them, and then they go off to charity. And I was just like, keep it down. Don't have dough. What, what do you want to print? 3,000? That's crazy. I don't want it on the pulp shelf. <laughs> yes, I can totally see that. Oh. <laughs> Nothing worse than seeing it each day on the pop yeah, show. But far from it, really. I mean, how many, do you know how many it's sold, roughly? Over 100,000. Yeah, incredible. Which is, yeah, mind-blowing. It's yeah. Waterstones, really. I mean, Waterstones just championed it. and Okay. They really, you know, because it won that award. Yeah. That was incredible. 
Yes. That they saw that worth in it because I didn't. When you work, you know, when you work on something, you don't really see. Yeah, and it was your first book as well. Mm. So, yeah. And how, how was that feeling of success? Was that a positive thing? Yeah, it was positive. Really positive. It was scary. It was scary when I decided to do my second book because how could you ever... Yeah. The difficult second album, definitely... It was it was so positive. It just got, I don't know, it just felt like I'd done something that I could be really proud of. Yeah. And I just felt, just felt sort of quietly confident because I'm not the most confident person. I just felt, okay, I've been validated. Yeah. But you have to find that from within yourself, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just take it all from... So with the second book, I I had to really dig deep and actually go do you know what I've got to find that from within myself and did it feel a different process when you were doing the second book as a result yeah because when you do the first one I was so naive I had no experience of doing that putting that much together and creating a story and a narrative through images it was and then by the second one I sort of I knew what I'd done, but it's still I still look at them and I go, did I really do that? Mm. So it just feels a bit magic. It's like the flow or the energy or your passion just sort of takes you over and you ride on it. Yeah. And then looking back, you're, whoa. Is, I, I feel like that's a familiar feeling, actually, that when you produce something, that the process of it takes quite a long time. And then at the end, it's hard to believe it's there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> It's a funny thing. I mean, do you have a do you work in a certain way? I mean, how long does it take you to to do the the drawings, for example? Oh, there's so many um, run ups and failures. Are there? Yeah, okay. like everything is done so many times. Like with the the new book, the song, the song of the tree. Mm. I was I thought, oh yeah, I can get some of these illustrations down really fast. Yeah. But no, I literally did half the book and I rejected it all. Okay. And had to go back. And that's, you know what, that's, it's good. It's really good because you learn so much about what you want to say and how you want to say it. And everything is just so thoughtfully placed. Yeah. And what comes first? Do, the work, do you write the books first and then illustrate them? Or, the, or does it all happen at the same time? It all sort of happens at the same time. And also being the designer as well. Ooh. That all happens at the same time. So you're juggling a lot of things Um the story's got to have really good bones. So it kind of starts off, like with the Song of the Tree, there was a, a book that my editor had and I picked it up and it was a, what was it? I can't remember what it's called, the Dictionary of, the Incomplete Dictionary of Showbirds. It's by this photographer. I'm really sorry, I can't remember his name. Okay. And there was this one bird in it and I fell in love and I photocopied the bird and stuck it up. Okay. in my study at home and I just spent ages staring at the bird and thinking what's that bird's personality what would that bird say so then the story so yeah I think I'm quite visually inspired so I have to see things and then the yeah. story will come and then it all just a big flood yeah trying yeah. to do it all together okay and the, all all three of your books are sort of rooted in nature is I mean do you live in nature <laughs> no <laughs> but what what draws Sadly. you to it then I think it's, again, it's my childhood. So I grew up in um, North Norfolk. Okay. Lots of space. we could just run out. We just had this whole common that we could play in at the end of our road. Mm. 
I loved that so much. And I was a bird watcher because <laughs> it got me out of school. Yeah. You could, like, <laughs> you could go on. I went to a boarding school. And so if you were a bird watcher, you got to go out on a Sunday and just escape. It was yeah. really good. So, yeah, no, it's just I really miss it. I live in Dulwich now. Okay. And we do have some really good green spaces. Yeah. Yeah, it's not too bad in London terms. Yeah. It's it's pretty good. So I can I like to go around. There's loads of cemeteries, mm. and they're just really nice green spaces. So I I would love to live in the middle of nowhere though. Yeah, it does feel when you look at your books that you do live in the middle, <laughs> middle of nowhere. So so you're getting that feeling across, even if uh, that's it's good. Not, it's like it's my fantasies, real. isn't it? All yeah. coming out in my yeah. in my pictures. Yes, and the new book is so. Um, if you're if you love books, I feel being someone who loves books, it's such a beautiful thing. Like the everything about the kind of binding and the and the paper and the I mean, it's sort of I feel slightly fetishistic talking about it like this, but the, the inks, <laughs> the color, oh, the, ink, the smell of the ink. Yeah, even. it's really. I mean, it's a really it's a really beautiful thing. Is it? Does that take a lot of work to get that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah. that's obvious that that's true. Yeah, it does. But also you I've the printers that printed it, I owe them so much because they've managed to get the ink to sit on the uncoated paper, yeah. the colours to sing out. It's really hard to achieve that. Yeah. Also the ribbons that where the songs are, um, the production controller Juliet did uh, the signatures in a different way so that we would get really perfect matches across the pages. So okay. it is all so thought sort through. And also I'm lucky because at Penguin, I'm working with production controllers that have been with me doing the cloth band classics. So they yeah. know what I'm aiming for. They know my materials. Explain the cloth band classics a bit because they're, they're a series of, of classic Penguin novels. Yeah. So they're hardbacks and I was obsessed when I first started working here with Victorian bindings. Okay. Again, it's all that whole history of printing and books and everything sort of coming into my work from Reading. Mm. And I wanted to take off the dust jacket and sort of go back to these beautiful books that sit in libraries and become heirlooms. And, mm. and so I had a bit of a struggle getting people to agree to not have a, a like a paper wraparound jacket. And it took quite a lot of proofing and the poor machine at the printers um, had to be rebuilt because oh, it was only used to doing spines. <laughs> you killed it. Poor little thing. It was, and I wanted to do the front, the spine and the back and yeah. the, the really intricate stuff. So it was, it was a bit of a process, but it was such a good learning curve. And now that machine is used by loads of publishers. Interesting. I think okay. I don't think that's down to me, by the way. I think there I was think it just is. a general <laughs> curve towards beautiful yeah, which being is... beautiful objects again. Indeed, and that was something I was going to ask you about because it, it very much is that now, isn't it? And obviously working at Penguin, you will have seen that. Because how long have you worked at Penguin for? 17 years. Okay. Hmm? So what I feel I'm jumping around everywhere, so apologies. <laughs> but um what was how did you how did you get here? I when there was just an advert in the Guardian okay for a cover designer and I was going through a particularly bad spell where I didn't have any work 
and it was getting pretty desperate. And Were I was you freelancing. Up. Yeah, okay. I just left a sort of part time job in publishing, and I don't know what I, I wanted to go to Australia. That was it. And so I went away and I came back and it was a bit dire and I was just phoning up publishing houses going, hi, hi, please, any yeah. work. And then I saw this advert and I thought, I'll never get this. Because I remember in my previous job, I'd said, I'm going to work at Penguin. Yeah. And then I thought, what am I talking about? I'm never going to get a Penguin. And and I met Jim Stoddart, who's my art director. And we got on really well. We had a really good interview where we just made each other laugh. Yeah. And his office was full of things that inspired just all these illustrators that he worked with that I absolutely adored. And so, yeah, got in, yeah. got the job. Yeah, yeah. And that stayed. was that, stayed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's what happens, I think, if you if you find a good place. So you must have seen then in the last 17 years, the because it's really been a roller coaster ride for, for print, yeah. really, in, in every sense. But books, there was a point, in the Kindle time, oh. the Kindle years, when uh, it felt bad, it felt bleak. I think if you love books, and it was um, bleak. but it's changed but, again. Yeah, maybe it never really took over, did it? There no, was a lot of felt, talk about it. Yeah, it's probably media to some extent. I yeah, think. it was like a good story, wasn't it? How yeah. are these publishers going to deal with this? Yeah, but yeah, that kind of that helped me with my obsessive desire to foil on cloth. Okay, because was there was there a recognition internally then that at Penguin that that a way of of bringing books back into people's lives more was to make them really kind of high end and beautiful. Yeah, but we are a trade publisher. We're mm. not Folio, and I think that Penguin acknowledged that, but also it was about doing the best for the book. Yeah. So some books. Really, that's not the right marketing tack to take. Yeah, not everything has to be. Yeah, so it wasn't like it was a big thing that just took out. It was just, oh, well, this really suits it. This doesn't. Yeah. They seemed quite relaxed about it. You know, it was It's good. It's good because every author gets treated individually and their work is done in the art department in a way that's true to what, their writings about yes rather than just let's slap some foil on this and make it beautiful and yeah and do you work across all because obviously there there's the the work you do with the classics which does feel very you but do, do you work on say crime fiction as well and things that will be a more like a photograph based cover or is, is yeah, all your stuff illustration i do everything okay um but that's dependent on our imprint so within you know, crime fiction is a different imprint. Yeah. Penguin Press, where I work, is like Alan Lane. So it's a lot of informative books. Yeah, it's complex, isn't it's, it, actually? <laughs> it's economics. Yeah. All sorts of history. So I get to do all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. And does that suit you? Do you like that variation? I like that, yeah, because it's good to have lots of different things on the go. Your mind is working in different ways. And that's why I moved from designing whole uh, big, beautiful picture books to cover design because I really like that fast pace yeah 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 and do you ever feel um like it it's different because presumably you're working with authors as well I mean how how's that relationship because obviously with your own books you're the you're you're the William Blake in charge of the oh, I know the sorry Blake. that's fair. <laughs> that's like <laughs> sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean you're the one who's created the entire thing yeah whereas 
with uh, somebody else's but your it's a collaboration um i mean how's that do you find that an easy process yeah because that's what i'm trained to do that's yeah. that is basically what my job is and also a lot of the classics my authors are dead yeah yeah so i do get a sort of free reign <laughs> in that and also the editors handle the author relationship okay. design is sort of especially kept out of out of the way a bit so that our creativity isn't stunted yeah that's good which is really lovely and that's one of the reasons why i've been here so long yeah you're looked after here presumably yeah and also i'm allowed to go off and do things so penguin is sort of, they they don't try and squash me they've allowed me to learn and grow and then they say what you learn you bring back yeah yes which feels very um, healthy as a company, really, and good for yes, yeah, good long sighted, good isn't for business, it? good yeah. for the people. Yeah, yeah, because you never know what people are going to do and what they'll bring back. Yeah, doesn't feel like you hear about that too often, though. Having said that, that businesses don't often run that way, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's yeah, good I to guess hear. Jim is just uh, yeah. You'll hate yeah. me saying this. <laughs> Jim's like amazing. Yes, really yeah, that good. stems from him, does it? Do you think? I think it's also our little department. I think just, yeah, I don't think it is just him because he, the MD also allows it, you know. The, yeah, it has to run through. Tom Weldon has allowed it. Um, but Jim's really good at, at letting you find your own voice, be creative, and he doesn't rein you in, and he's really open-minded. And if you need to go off and look at some art, He's like, yeah, yeah. I don't feel restrained or... Yeah, yeah, that's great. And in terms of sort of challenging things, I mean, we've talked about it was obviously quite difficult at the start and uh, and now, you know, having a long time in one place. I mean, have, have, have there been moments where it's been difficult or, or I mean, there's a chance of making your own books, of course, but what have been the tough bits? I think it's finding your own voice in quite... An extrovert industry. So my worst moment, I would say, was I went to a conference in Toronto and I was giving an hour's talk. Okay. And I had a massive panic attack in the middle of my talk. Oh, okay. And I was so well prepared that I actually delivered the talk. No one knew. Right. And I was talking myself out of my panic attack while delivering my talk. Okay. And so... That's that was just so awful and traumatic. But then the outcome of that was also the best because I met some really amazing people. Okay. Like Art Chantry, an American graphic designer, was in doing his talk after mine and he was in the audience next to my partner. Right. And apparently he was laughing and he said, She's amazing, her talk's really good. Right. And so it just felt really like I don't come from the most confident place. But yet, pushing myself out of my boundaries taught me a lot about me. And also, the really weird thing was, I just got up on stage, and I don't know where it came from, but I just said to everyone, this is not my natural habitat. I am an introvert. Yeah. <laughs> and I got loads of emails and people coming up to me saying, I felt so much better about being at the, confident, at the conference. Yeah. And I just felt that I didn't have to be an extrovert. I didn't have to shout about myself. Yeah. And have you done, since then, have you done more talks and has it got easier? I kind of hid after that for a while. Okay. Um, I've done 
in conversation, I think that's a much nicer format for me. Yeah. I don't enjoy just talking about my work for an hour. And especially yeah. when it was such a big audience, you couldn't hear any reaction. You couldn't even see their faces. It was just talking to... Yeah, it is. It's really intimidating kind of thing, actually. Full on. Yeah. You just I... have to hope for the best, basically. Yeah. I did yeah. a talk with John Hamilton. Okay. Um, who was the art director at Penguin general so that's another division but sadly he's passed away mm. and we did an in conversation at the ditchling museum yeah and it was so good because he everything i do he doesn't do he didn't do and everything he did i wouldn't do and so we had this really good conversation about how you could just come from two different places yeah in, for an audience that's brilliant isn't it was it? really it was the best one i've ever done hmm Yes. I think in conversations can sometimes be actually more revealing in a lot of ways as well. So much more interesting, I think, for people. They mm. feel a little bit more, it's a bit more human. Yeah. A bit more engaging. Yeah, yeah. And the best public speaking things are just um, when people are, are being themselves. So you saying about, you know, being introvert, of course people are going to feel empathy for you and care about you because it's you're being real I think when someone's very slick it's not yeah. but it's a tough it's a tough it's thing a really to do especially balance, when your natural habitat is scribing or drawing yeah hiding designing. <laughs> <laughs> hiding hiding in the woods yeah well, yeah well I'm glad I mean it's good to hear that you kind of came out the other side with a a positive feeling about that because that's not always the way well I think the when you, things go really wrong it's just such a good you just learn so much about your own capabilities and you think, oh, I've got to work on that. Yeah. Why did that happen? What's going on for me? And like my books, they are all, they're not physical journeys in the classic storytelling sense. They sort of investigate what's going on inside my own head. Yeah. Yeah. They're quite, they're, they feel philosophical in a way, your stories. That, Or you can see them on lots of levels. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like, I'm all about exploring what is going on in emotionally. <laughs> yeah, yes. And how are you feeling about the next one coming out? Because it's a couple of weeks from, from when yeah. we're recording. Oh, I'm really excited, actually. It feels it feels like a really good arc. So Fox dealt with loss and then Worm was probably around the time after that anxious nightmare. Okay. Doing that talk. And so it was dealing with anxiety and trying to find beauty in the smallest of moments and then the bird feels like this massive celebration where I've sort of reconnected and I feel more grounded and happier as a person so yeah. it's kind of like this lovely arc where then bird flies off and I even um so I really hate flying okay and I was doing loads of reading about attachment theory and so the song of the bird is sort of the song of the tree, sorry, goes on about it's to me it's about attachment and how loving something like you can still love something even though you're not there anymore. Yeah. And I went on this sort of journey and then I got up in the air and I could fly to Sri Lanka where I saw all the animals from the book and it felt like oh. the book. So it felt like this really lovely round journey where I'd I was the bird and I'd gone through this anxious phase and then I felt sort of reconnected to the world and it wasn't such a scary place. Yeah. And it's the chat, it's that there seems to be a sort of slightly recurring theme of facing challenges and facing fears and yeah. And it working out when you do like that. It's been a, it's a positive thing, 
even though it's hard. It's hard. It's the hardest thing. You realise that what you're most scared of is inside yourself. Yeah. And then you're like, how do I... Whoa, I've just got to go through it to get to the other side. And I did that on the aeroplane. I didn't take any medication. Okay. And I was, and it was really scary. And I was having panic attacks and I had to actually ride through them. Yeah. And it just, wow. You know, that's sort of a completion from that being on the stage and being sort of ashamed that I had a panic attack, even yeah. though no one noticed. And then going, you know what? Bring it on. Give yeah. me the panic. And I'm going to feel a lot stronger afterwards knowing I can actually deal with it. Yeah. Yes, because so much of panic attacks is the control the it has over you. Fear of the fear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and no, I feel like, I mean, it feels a really optimistic story, the, the Song of the Tree, and, and with all the beautiful paper and <laughs> my, my obsession. But the colours and everything, it feels really, a really sort of joyful book, which uh, feels like something that we need at the moment. Yeah. So. So it's good. Oh, this feels like a nice moment to end on. So yeah, thanks thank so, you much. so much. It's been great talking to you and hearing all about it. It's really interesting. Thank, thank you. you. And you can read more about Coralie's work on the Creative Review website at creativereview.co.uk. Thanks. Thanks.